Hey there, this is Dennis Anyone with Dennis Hensley. It's a podcast about making things up and making things happen. I love to talk to creative people. I think art and creativity make the world go around. And today my guest does a lot of different creative things. Do you guys remember the International Mail Catalog? It was the sexiest thing you could ever imagine. And my guest today, John Coulter, has been on the cover 30 plus times. And um, I had lots of questions. I had lots of questions, for sure, about step-ins and buns and onion skins, all of it. We cover it. And he's a part of the new documentary called All Man, the International Male Story, uh, which premieres at Outfest on July 16th at 7.15. And it is also going to be available for streaming within 48 hours of that first uh, screening at Outfest. So we talk about all of that. But before I get to that, I want to remind you that there are two ways you can listen to this podcast. You can listen, as you always do, on your favorite podcast app, or you can become a subscriber to DNR Studios um, because I'm part of now this DNR Studios family. And for $12.95 a month, you get access to my show 48 hours earlier than The Riff Raff. And you also get access to a bunch of other great shows like The Derek and Romaine Show, Perfect Date with Tom Goss, The Adam Sank Show, lots of funny, edgy, cool stuff. So you can learn more about that at dnrstudios.com. All right, that's enough for the plugs. Here now is the interview with John Coulter, and his documentary that he appears in again is called All Man, The International Mail Story. All right, joining me now via Zoom from Los Angeles, he is an artist, a visual artist, a costume designer, a model, and he's also one of the people who appear in the new documentary, All Man, the International Male Story. It's John Coulter. Hi, John. Hello, I'm here. You're you're good. I was just looking at your Instagram. You were on the red carpet for the Tribeca Film Festival with this documentary. It's it was it fun? Yes, it was fun. Except everybody got COVID. Everybody got COVID. <laughs> oh, I love it. I didn't get it. I didn't get it because I had already had it. You had already had it, but there was a lot of COVID in the it air. It was a hot spot. Yeah, it was a hot spot. I love it. When I saw that they were making a documentary about international mail, I was very excited because I am a fan of international mail. I have a long like, I remember getting the catalog. I remember going to the store. And you were a model on a lot of the covers. Um, I was. What was your first memory of International Mail? Do you remember the catalog before you started auditioning yeah, or, or modeling for them? What do you remember I, about it? Well, I remember it, like everybody else, it would just randomly come to your house. And at this point, I was living with my parents, so I didn't understand how it was coming to my house. Right, but it was so sexy, right? It and was, and you would keep it, and you would put it under your mattress. <laughs> so it would just show up at your house, and you'd have to try to yeah. intercept it? Yeah. And you know what? After watching the movie, I figured out why it was sent to everybody's house. Because they ordered something from some other catalog or something? No, because eventually it was sold to this huge catalog company, and they had a mass um, mass mail listing because they had all kinds of, like, like family kind of catalogs like Talbots and like I don't know Pottery Barn they had this whole list of it probably wasn't Pottery Barn at the time but you know they had a whole um, list of uh, addresses I guess that it would just go out to so you were getting it before you had ever ordered anything from it or, or knew anything about it it just showed up yeah it did yeah and and you thought it was provocative you would hide it under your mattress I would, and I'm not going to tell you what else I would use it for. Right, but I think a lot of people, a lot of people used it for that. Um, what do you remember about auditioning for them, or how did you get involved as a model with them? Well, it was funny because I started modeling in New York, and they 
had asked, you know, they wanted to book me on the catalog. And at the time, the New York agencies wouldn't let uh, me model for them because they had they had bigger plans for my career, and they thought that was right. It was a little the direction to go. Yeah. Right, they were going for more high fashion. Exactly, Armani. So yeah, right. Yeah, so I didn't do it for a few years, but of course, the minute I moved to LA. Those agents are are different, and they'll take every job they can get. Whatever they, you know. <laughs> they, have, they have no sort of. They're not snooty. They're not trying no. to impress Anna Wintour. Yeah, okay, they're not trying to change my life and my career. And right. Yeah. So they're like, yes, book him. So. So you go to a, do a go see or something, and they they decide yes. Are they? You know, they I don't already remember doing an audition or a go see. I don't remember if they booked directly from photos, which right. they didn't really do back then, but they must have because I don't remember an audition. And you did over 30 covers for them. I, I did a lot. Yeah, that's why I should be in that movie a lot more. <laughs> you are, exactly. <laughs> but we're not going to spell that out here. Yeah, uh, we won't. We, you're, you're, you carry it, practically. For our, yeah. pur- for our purposes of the podcast, <laughs> yes, you practically exactly. carry the movie. Here's what yeah. I'm going to say about all the male models I brought back. Everyone still looks good. Everyone's still yeah. delicious. Well, um, that's nice. Yeah, they, they all did look really good. Yeah, they did. Now, did you do your interviews with them at any time? Did you interact with them at all? Or was it, uh, had you seen them since maybe shooting with some of them? No, I hadn't seen them in years since the catalog stopped. And I really only, I actually didn't model with any of those people because they were all after my time. Right. You know. What was your I, reign? What, when was your international male reign? It was about 90s, 2000? Late, late 90s, maybe yeah. like. Like maybe ninety eight to two thousand seven, two thousand around there. It was around that time. And so you didn't really the other guys that we see in the movie. You didn't really interact with them back in the day. Um, no, I didn't. But what was funny was sometimes they would use pictures in the catalog that were so old that I would share pages with them because theirs would be old pictures, and then you know I'd have the new underwear, or whatever. Right. It'd be next to them in the catalog, even though I had never really worked with them. As a client, what were they like to work with? Did they did they pay fairly? Was the set nice? Like, what was the vibe? Yeah. The thing that surprised me the most when I first started working with them was, uh, oh, everybody's straight. You just assume it's going to be the most flamboyant <laughs> right. set. Everybody would just, it would just be the gayest thing you ever did. But the only thing that was gay about it were the clothes. None of the models were gay. The photographer was straight. They had a female uh, makeup artist. The producers, everybody was straight at the right. time. At the time I did it. Right. I think back then it was, it might have been more, yeah. you know. So you were like, let me get this straight. Nobody here has poppers or a glow stick. Right. Nobody. <laughs> right. Um, but, 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 but fair, like, like a decent, like a good gig and, and like an enjoyable, yeah. an enjoyable it, thing. It bought my house. There it is. so and, much with them. And I saw your house. Your house has been featured in different things because you're so into decorating and stuff and you have a lovely home. Uh, well, thank you. I almost lost it after COVID. <laughs> but you know what? Of, uh, uh, I was going into foreclosure. It's a whole story that I just dealt with yesterday, actually. All right. Uh, I kept it. I still have it. You, you still have it. You still have it. Yeah. Yeah. What was it like when you would show up to do an international mail sh- shoot and they would show you the clothes? Well... For me, the more ridiculous, the more fun it was for me. Because that was the only <laughs> time you'd ever get a model mesh, you know? Right, exactly. So it was always super fun. You know? But then toward the end, toward the end of the catalog, the last year or so, it started getting more risque and more risque. And I actually had to have some boundaries. I actually had boundaries. I said, no full frontal now. Because there was getting to be some like mesh that was... 
see-through that you would see yeah. the penis. Yeah. Yeah, and I was like, yeah, no, I'll, I don't need to do that. So the other models who are often straight that worked with you, were you like, no, dude, you're doing that crazy mesh thing. I'm going to do this more paneled thing, or I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> was it, was it kind of like who or what? How did that happen? I think, well, the way it would work was we would, we were going to Hawaii all the time. It was always some exotic location, which was always amazing. Yes. They would only have, you know, they would probably be there for about a week and a half, but then they would have the models stagger in at different times. Right. At one time I was only there with probably two or three models at a time. Um, And then I would leave and then another model would come in, you know. Um, Here's what I remember about getting the catalog is you would get it and the, it was always super hot and sexy and they were ridiculous outfits and you're like, I would never wear that. Oh, even that beautiful guy looks ridiculous in that. Oh, that's stupid. I would never wear that. But there was always one or two things I would be like, I'm going to order that. Like I, I ordered from that, you know? Did you really? You yeah. There was always like, I could remember a few different pieces like this sort of netty vest thing and then there was like a kind of spandexy shirt thing. I mean, they were probably all... Yeah. Um, not not wins for me, um, but I would. I don't think I ever bought the buns underwear. Did you ever oh, model buns. the buns underwear? I did. I'm all of it. The girdle. There was a full girdle that yeah. I modeled. Did you ever rock the onion skins, the shorts that were basically like uh, invisible? I the, no, I never did wear them. That might have been a little but early. I remember that, them. Yeah, it might have been a little little yeah. pre you. Would it you was, get recognized from that catalog specifically, or would people just say, "Oh, you're a model, right?" Or I've seen you. Or would would people say, "Oh, undergear." Yeah, there were there was a time in my life when I would get recognized from the specifically the catalog. And how did that? Because straight men would even. I mean, they were with their girlfriends, and they would stop me on the street and say, "Hey, I know you from that catalog." Interesting. And I was like, "You really? You're you're buying that stuff?" Well, I think that's one of the points that the documentary makes is that there was a market for that. There were straight people that wanted to express themselves in that way. And I think yeah. one of my favorite things about the documentary is that this catalog was one part of letting men be more expressive in their clothes. Because it starts off by showing the way that everyone wore a gray suit in the 50s, like that right. there was no expression at all. And this, you know, things started changing and opening up. And this is this is part of that. And, you know, not didn't yeah, single handedly change that. So um, it had to be the most. Out, out their catalog, though, for men at the time. It had to have been, right? Oh, for sure. And yeah. it was successful. And uh, do you ever remember... my mind that, who, that there were that many people that wanted to be that expressive. Yeah, like, so where were the places you went to? Hawaii, you said? Went to Hawaii a lot. The, the craziest thing was when we went to Cuba, because at the time we shot in Cuba, we weren't allowed to go there as Americans. Oh, and right. We certainly weren't allowed to do business there. So we had to pose as journalists. And I didn't really know what that meant. They were like, just act like a journalist. And I was like, what are they? I don't know what they act like. You get a little hat and put scoop yeah. in the in the rim. Yeah. <laughs> right. So I was like, well, all right. Like, okay, let's do that. So then we shot the whole catalog there. We used, I think, just two American models went, and then they used all Cuban models. Um, Ooh, and sexy. Then, then they made, the catalog was printed, and then I get this phone call from International Mail saying, the government, the U.S. government made us shred every catalog right before we sent them out. And now we have to rush into a whole new catalog. We have no budget because we blew it all in Cuba. So we're going to shoot the whole thing in L.A. And we're going to pretend like it's a runway show. And we're just going to shoot everything on a, on a stage, a sound stage, and make a fake runway and shoot, reshoot the whole catalog. So the Cuba pictures never came out because I felt like yeah. I'd seen them. 
but maybe Never. I dreamed that. That's dream that's so interesting. That didn't make the doc, Jock John, and that's it so didn't. interesting. Right? You were like spies. So you're shooting in Cuba. Yeah. I always wanted to go to Cuba and see the cars and yeah. just the, the it feeling. Was beautiful. What do you remember you about know? it? Well, I remember we all cried. All of us. Well, maybe not all of us, but I know I did the makeup artist because it was so upsetting how the, it was just a beautiful country and it was just in rough. It was just a mess because of the, you know, and what had happened. So they were just so poor that these, all these Cuban, um, models they felt less than because they weren't as built up because they they didn't have gyms that they could go to they didn't have that luxury right they the clothes when you bring clothes over out of let's see when you bring clothes over there you had to cut the backs out of them even all the shoes we had to cut the backs out of so they knew that we weren't selling them over there oh interesting they saw all these clothes that to them were really nice and then they would just see us cut them up and uh but let me tell you what the saddest story was they hired a surgeon to be our tour guide and take us around all these locations because as a surgeon over there, he can make more money just being our tour guide but he, um, than he could be a, being a surgeon over there, which was crazy to me. So you could just feel the oppression and, and yeah. everywhere. And, yeah. and you're cutting up clothes and stuff like that. Wow, yeah, and what then a at lunch, And then at lunch, like, we'd get these sandwiches – and the Americans, like the makeup artist, was like picking everything off her sandwich. Meanwhile, the driver was saving all that stuff, and he didn't even eat his sandwich because he wanted to bring it home to his whole family of five for dinner. They were going to share it. Man, so it was it was emotional. Yeah, it was it was an adventure. Um, was. Yeah, was there ever anything that you liked that you wore from them in your real life? Never. <laughs> never, not a thing. There was never anything was like. I'm going to take this thing. Not one thing. You're like, I'm going to take this home. Maybe the lace up leather leather chaps. Maybe. Maybe, but not really. Maybe. But it wasn't your thing. <laughs> when people, your your LA agents started booking you on these, how did you feel about it? Did you feel like you know what a gig's a gig and they're nice and I'm fine with it, or did you feel like it was quote unquote cheesy? Uh, we all definitely knew it was cheesy, but. You get that paycheck, and you're like, I will, I will, yeah. put on anything for. A, I, you could literally dip paycheck. me in cheese for this yeah. kind of yes, for this paycheck. Right, right. Well, you've always had a cool attitude. You've always, you've never been snobby. Um, I was trying to think. We met around 1990. I feel like uh, you worked with uh, my friend Tony in Disneyland yeah. and in Tokyo, right. and then. But I also have this memory of you, and I don't know if you'll remember this. It was my first book had just come out, and I have a memory of you being in Union Square in New York. This would have been 1998. I don't know. I, I love that book. I, Adventures. I feel like it was the first time I had seen my book in a store, and I feel like you happened to be there. Does any of this ring a bell? Union Square, Barnes and Noble. Anyway, no, but, but you were I, living I in New York. Be your book, and it's on my shelf right now. And, it's, and you were living there at the. T- you were living in New York at the time. I was. Yeah. All right. Yeah. 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 Uh, why did you move back to LA? What was it that that made you want to come back? Uh, well, I wanted to start focusing more on my acting career. Funny enough, so and I just had enough in New York. I lived there about ten years and was ready for a change. Yeah, and you came back. I miss, I miss the weather in LA. Yeah. Yeah, and you did your thing. One of the things I liked about the documentary is that you felt like it wasn't like, uh, is it the Abercrombie and Fitch one where there were a lot of like not so nice people? If, you felt like the yeah. international male people were pretty 
nice, a lot of goodwill. Yeah. yeah, yeah. A lot. Of, they all seem great. In fact, when I left the movie, I thought, "Gosh, I wish I would have been able to work with all that crew and those producers of the catalog back then," because they were all uh, had been more working there at the time than I did. Yeah, but they all seemed really cool. Do you have any memories of going to the store, the International Mail yes, Store? Yes, I do. Yeah, on uh, Santa Monica Boulevard. Yeah, what was? It? Would you go to shop, or would they do events there? I think I would just go in to just check it out. I never bought anything, but I would go in just to see what was going on, to see what models they were using and what posters of the guys they were using. And, you know, you, it was just, I was just curious about Yeah, you, you wouldn't go there to have your Sally Field soap dish moment of like, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, that is me. Funny enough, it is me. Right. I remember they would have sales like once or twice a year, and it was a, an event. Like, I'm going to be gone the rest of the day. <laughs> I'm going to be digging through boxes, looking oh for God. this and that. Like, it was a big right. thing. So and, it, it, and, and it was sexy because of the the um, brazenness of it. It was very, like, a peacock, very, like, that vibe. Um, I didn't always have the yeah. confidence to pull it off, but that was kind of exciting, even to think about now. I think that's why people are interested in the documentary. Um, there was one really sad part of the documentary that moved me is, you know, all of this was happening around the time of the AIDS crisis. So yes. there were all these clothes out and people were expressing themselves. And then this was kind of playing in the background. Yeah, huge blow. Yeah. And there was a point where one of the guys that did the phone orders said that people would call and say, my order isn't here yet. And you need to hurry up because I want to be alive to get my order. And I was like, you just gave me chills. I know that part got me too. Well, and this was the guy that was on the phone, you know, the, the guy telling the story. It was like, Oh, what a, what a yeah. moment in time. I know it. The other thing that struck me about this documentary, I don't know if you shared this, but everyone that worked there still seemed pretty young. Like, if that store closed, I don't know when, but the people in the documentary are not 80. They're like, no. they were. They must have been very young at the time is something that yeah. I was thinking. Yeah, I was surprised about that, too. They were all, they were all young, I think, when they started there. Yeah. Um, something you say in the documentary is that you felt pressure to... Oh, that guy's hotter than me. That guy's got abs. Like, you're not immune to all of that stuff. Uh, maybe it's heightened because it's your job, right? <laughs> right. That was kind of funny because it was sort of taken out of context because I think the question was something along the lines, how does it feel to have, like, this perfect body? And I didn't know how to answer that. Like, right. You, I mean, how do you... It uh, feels like shit. Yeah. yeah. So the truth was, yeah, when you would go to set, you... Of course, you're going to just naturally compare yourself to the other guys and you look at them and you immediately go to what you think is your weak point. And you think, oh, they've got a bigger chest or they're, they have a better face or they have, they have bigger legs or more abs or it's always something, you know. It's always something. And I don't know if everybody felt that way, but I certainly did. <laughs> when you're at the height of your modeling and, and, and working the most and, and, and really busy with it, People would imagine that diet and exercise are a big part of it. Is it way more than we would think, or is it not that big a part? Like, how how intense is that part of it? It's – I I think people think it's more intense than it is because I back then we're all young and have a metabolism. Yeah. So I would work out, but, yeah, it wasn't – it certainly wasn't a focus. The right. The gym and eating right was not a focus for me. You would have birthday cake at somebody's party. I would. Yes, I would. Yeah. And you would so, probably also make it and decorate it and make it beautiful yeah. if I, if your Instagram is any right. indication. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know yeah. who was fun to see in the documentary is Tony Ward. 
Um, oh, yeah. I know from Justify My Love video, and he talks about being in international mail, and also he still looks great. He's still cool. Yeah. Did you ever yeah, work with him? Cool. No. In fact, I forgot that he was even in the catalog, but it was fun to see his photos from it. Yeah. There was a few cele- like guys that have made it pretty big, like Shamar Moore was in it. Yeah. Which surprised me because you forget right. about those guys. Victor Webster. And speaking of uh, Tony Ward and being in the Justify My Love video, you're in a Madonna video. Oh, that was something else. And I can't remember which one it was. Remind me. Give me a hint and I will guess. Because I I know this. This is in my, I know this. You're not going to know this. If you know this. Really? really I feel like, because I, between knowing you a little bit and being a fan, I should know this. Okay. What were you in? should. It was a fake promotional video for her movie that she did with Guy Ritchie and it was about they were on an island swept away swept away that's what it was so they did a spoof off of that movie so it wasn't technically one of her music videos right so what did you play in it but I was her pool boy and I got to like she'd walk by and I'd light her cigarette and I was basically yeah just a guy hanging out by her pool you were eye candy for Madonna (laughs) and what were you wearing hilarious I was wearing a crop top shirt, okay, and and like a speedo, I think. Sure. And yeah. what do you remember about working with her? I remember how sweet Guy Ritchie was to her because Madonna was like, "Can I'm going to do this in a British accent?" Which made no sense. There was no, there was no, there was no purpose. <laughs> and Guy Ritchie was so sweet. He's like, "Well, all right, okay, we can try that." Wow, because this is when they were in love still, I think. Yeah, it was. Yeah, wow. Was it a one-day thing? One and done? Yeah, it was just a one, yeah. Wow, I wonder if that exists anywhere on YouTube or anywhere. Yeah, I finally found it somewhere. (gasps) I think it was somehow on YouTube. Yeah. I I just recently found it. Um, Do you you still do some modeling, yes? Well, I do, but not a lot with this. This gray hair didn't end up serving me. <laughs> You're not the Silver Fox guy? No. My agents were like, oh yeah, stop dyeing it because I dyed it for like four years. Like, yeah. I pulling that off. And then I stopped because like, oh no, you're still good. You're going to work all the time. Well, you know what I've booked since then? What? Depends. depends I saw the, the ad. The, uh, the depends thing. Yeah. Yeah, that's where that's where it's gotten me. <laughs> so I went from like international male undergear to like this Diaper daddy, basically. Diaper daddy. You know what? There's a there's a fetish for that. I'm sure there are people that are like would pay you. They would send you money just to oh do an OnlyFans gosh. or something. Um, yeah. <laughs> at the height of it, how did when when how did it feel to be a successful model at that at that time? Did, oh, it, did it? No. No, because it's a thing. Like people, it's people probably come and say, "Oh, you should be a model," and you're like, "Well, I do a little of it." Like the the the. It's the confidence funny. that you might yeah. have, but also the way people react to you, it's a, it's a, it's a thing to manage yeah. or to think about, I would think. It is. And they don't realize that you're not as confident as you, as you would think because you get a million no's to every yes. You know, right. you don't just book a job and get it. There's so many jobs that you don't book. And then there was a time when I was just booking underwear and like more like body stuff. And of course... Back then, you're like, I don't want to do any more things with my body. I just want, I want to model high fashion. And right. I want, to, I want to get Gucci. I don't want to be a catalog model. I feel like a piece of meat, and I want to do something more elevated. Isn't that funny? And now I would be flattered if somebody wanted to take my <laughs> picture with my clothes off. So it's like the grass is always greener. Sure. What was your favorite gig? 
Because I know you did some commercials and stuff like that, yeah. and, and you pop up here and there. Was there a thing that was like, this is the coolest job? There, there's usually something about all the jobs that are really great, and then there's always something about every job I do that's just busted somehow. And it, I don't know why it happens that way, but for example, I'm going to give you a quick example. Yeah. I, I booked this job with Cindy Crawford. I'll tell it really fast. Yeah, I love I it. this job with Cindy Crawford. They're telling me it's going to change my career because she's only modeled with men a couple times in her career. So it's going to be a career changer. Get to the photo shoot, famous photographer, Ellen Bonnenworth, and they put this, uh, I'm wearing cargo pants, no shirt. Then they put a Halloween mask on me. This werewolf, big, huge <laughs> rat Halloween mask on me. And there's Cindy Crawford laying on me in a bikini sweating. But I can't talk to her because I got this mask on. And right. I scream through the mask. So all the ads, you can't even tell it to me. I just have this Halloween mask on my head. Oh, my so gosh. It was, like, amazing and then not Yeah, the good news now. is you're working with Cindy Crawford. The bad news is you're going to be wearing a mask and no one's going to be able to tell it's you. Yeah. And it's not going to change anything. No, no. Ugh. Yeah. Was she cool Is in your memory? Um, yeah, super cool. It was when she was dating Richard Gere, I think. It was way Ooh. back way back when. And she was super cool. Very sweet. But like I said, we didn't chat that much. Right. When you first started doing it, how long did it take till you felt like, oh, I know how to be in front of the camera. I know what I'm doing now. Oh, were you kind a natural, of, Dennis. You were a natural. The one. <laughs> well, you post for a lot of Disneyland pictures, I'm sure. Yeah. So <laughs> you're not no stranger right. to being in front of a camera. But did yeah. you feel like did you did you feel like oh I can do this right away or was there like a learning curve? Yeah, let's be honest, it's not that difficult. You know. <laughs> Thank you for saying that. <laughs> yeah. All right. So you were cool. You were into it. Yeah. Yeah, I was. It was. I mean, I didn't know that I would do it for thirty years. I thought I would do it for a few years and then get onto a real career and uh, you know start making something of myself. But it was. I was having too much fun. I was traveling. And time just flies by, I guess, and I just... Well, you do a lot of other things, and a lot of them, and, and you do them very well. Like, you're a, a visual artist. You you paint Thank you. images for Disney. I do. You do... Man. How do you describe what you do? Because it's they're not in the films. They're more like collectibles, right? Yeah, it's turning their characters from the films and their attractions at Disneyland into fine art. And then we... So they'll frame them, put them in the galleries throughout the theme parks, and then they'll turn it into merchandise. You know how Disney does. They'll slap it on a mug, a mask. Right. Like, you have this really cool phone case that you did for this cool retro exhibit yeah. that they do. And, yeah. What's your favorite uh, merch usage of your image? Uh, well, it had to be the mouse ears, because just to do a classic mini mouse ear that they that people would wear in the park. Yeah. Pretty cool because those are those are kind of like iconic. Of course. And I saw the image on Instagram. It was beautiful. They were very detailed and, and sort of they were not a, a, a pair of mouse ears that you would throw in the trunk after the day at the park. They're Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So what is it like to work with them? Because they have to approve I I, I assume every brush stroke practically or what they how do. does that process work? And I still work with them, so I'm gonna Select my words carefully. Sure, yeah, but what's it <laughs> what's just, it like? Because you are you're part of a, a a brand. Yeah, it's it's and it is corporate, so it's it's interesting because they'll be for they do let me have a, a lot of artistic license, which is great. But then there'll be times when I'll paint something and they're like, Oh no, no, Corella Deville doesn't smoke anymore. You can't have her big long cigarette. You have to cut that out. So 
you have to make changes in your yeah. So now she's vaping. She's vaping. Yeah, Yeah. (laughs) right. (laughs) That's interesting that Cruella doesn't smoke. Wow. Yeah, and then like I'm doing. I did a big Peter Pan painting recently, and I had to take out anything that was American Indian. Yeah, because that could be offensive. You have to be really careful these days. Yeah. Now. Will they come to you and say, hey, we're looking to do something with this movie or this character? Are you, or do, are you able to go, you know what, I have this idea around Pocahontas or whatever it is. Like, how does that work? It's a little of both. When they have a special event, they'll ask for something specific if they're doing a gallery event about, say, the 50th anniversary of Haunted Mansion. We'll all do that. But then there are times when I'll just come up with my own concept for an idea that I think is cool. And I, I propose it to them with a sketch, and then it goes through the legal department and the creative team over there to get all the approvals before I can actually paint it. But it, but it does happen sometimes. They're pretty, they're open to your ideas. Yeah, they are. Yeah. Yeah. And I know that these are available at certain galleries at the parks. Where can people buy these if they're a fan of Disney and they, they want to see your work? Well, basically there's nothing online at the moment. So you have to go into Disneyland. There's galleries on main street there's also a gallery in downtown Disney. So you don't have to pay to get into the park. There's a cool gallery called Wonderground, And that's in the downtown Disney district yeah. area. Um, and then same with the Orlando. It's the same thing. They have a, a Disney Springs over there that has a gallery. I would imagine for Disney fans who love your art and then also know that you worked as Prince Charming and Tarzan, like they must kind of... <laughs> it must be like overload for like fan in a way. Like in other words, just this sort of history of, of you in relation it is to Disney. Cool that I have that that history, and I do pay. It's funny. I have a full circle kind of feeling about it because I used to work with all the princesses, you know, and now I get to paint them, and it is it's it is cool for me. I, Who, who's your favorite princess to paint? It's got to be Snow White. She's I just love really that, that classic movie. She's so cute and sweet. But she doesn't have crazy <laughs> hair. Her hair is very. She doesn't. But boy, I can add a flower and a crown, and <laughs> you know, I take care of that hair. You take care of that hair. It doesn't need I to do. be. Not everybody needs to be tangled. Yeah. Um, right. What about drawing the men? Are you ever tempted to be like, I'm just going to give him a little bit more of a pert ass? Or I, like, because yeah. I've seen the Disney gay porn cartoons online and they're, right? they're kind of exciting. But do you ever fight the impulse to make them a little, or, or men or women, a little sexier than they should be? Uh, you know what's funny is I've never drawn any of the men. Yeah. Ever. I don't think I've ever drawn, it's always villains and princesses and. Um, so you haven't you haven't driven driv, driven that's not a word you haven't drawn whoever Jonathan Groff played in that other Frozen thing. Oh right 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 no yeah I have not yeah yeah. Um, what's your favorite memory of working for Disney as a performer? Because you played Tarzan and you did a lot of yeah. like parades and all of that stuff when you were younger. The Tarzan thing was really cool because it, I for some reason as a kid I always wanted to be in the circus which is weird but right. When I was Tarzan, I got to do an aerial act so kind of, and be Tarzan. So it kind of fulfilled all these dreams of, because it was very circusy, this aerial act that I did. So it kind of fulfilled all these dreams. So it was pretty cool to get to do that Tarzan show. How hard was it to learn the tricks? Well, it was super hard because I didn't come from an acrobat. I mean, I was a gymnast when I was younger, so that right. helped. But I was no aerialist or acrobat at, at, I don't know how old I was, 23 or something. Um 
And I thought I, would, I was living in New York at the time, and I thought, oh, I'll go to New, um, get out of New York for the summer and just go to this show in Orlando for a couple months during the summer. Well, I didn't realize there would be three months of rehearsal for this show because it was a new show that right. they were opening. So we went to this stunt camp in the middle of nowhere, and it was like 110 out, and we're it's outside, and we're learning this aerial act. And there was the other Tarzan was from Cirque du Soleil, and he was like, "That guy's never going to make it into the show." <laughs> he was thinking that about you. Yeah, he said that. Yeah, out loud. Yeah, he said oh, that. Guy's not <laughs> he said that out loud. <laughs> oh, like, excuse me. You just wait. Yeah, exactly. Wait. Watch me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But you you figured it out and you got it. Was the I hair? Did. did you grow your hair out or was it a wig? Well, okay. Funny thing about that is, I had this—I was modeling at the time, so I had that. I had long brown hair, right? And they made me cut my hair because you have to have short hair to work at Disney. At the time, you had to have, you know, a real short, conservative haircut. So I had to cut all my long hair off and then put on a wig, a Tarzan wig. <sighs> That's so corporate. That is so backwards. It makes sense, right? though. I get it. I get it. Yeah. yeah. Oh, some other work that I love that you did is my f- dear friend Danny Casillas was Reba Ariba, and he ran for Quest for the Crown, and you helped design all his costumes. And they, yes. to this day, I can remember every detail of them. I know that he still rocks them and loves them. And you yeah. just did an amazing job, like a a nacho bikini and and stuff like that. You're yes. very good was- at designing costumes. That was. Super fun. And I'd never done costumes for a drag queen before. I just knew they had to be big, sparkly, and over the top, you know? Right. And then and then he came with all these costumes. Like, I want to be a pinata, and I want to be hit, and I want the costume pieces to fall off. So there was, like, a whole strategy to, well, how are we going to make a sleeve fall off and then the leg fall off? And uh, But he ended up winning, so I was... So you crushed it. I remember, though, yeah. watching the pieces fall, and I was like, and hearing his plans for what he wanted to do, and I think you guys, the collaboration was a success. Um, when did you know you liked designing costumes? When you would be in shows, would you be like, you know what, these pants would look so much better if dot, dot, dot. Like, yes, did you always, always think like that? Always, yeah. I mean, as a kid, I would I would take my little action figures. This is so gay. I would take my little action figures. It would be like an adventure people safari set. And I would, like, get my glitter out, and I would turn them all into a circus show. <laughs> so I was designing costumes when I was, like, six years old on my little G.I. Joes. I was doing that. You were just making them their thing. And then, and then I noticed on your Instagram, like, you designed a great Moulin Rouge-type show. Where is that show playing? Oh, uh, yeah. I do costumes for a production company that does a lot of corporate events. Yeah. So we're, what we do is we basically knock off all the Broadway shows and... And they do a bunch of other types of shows, too. So I get to do costumes for all the big Broadway shows. We'll do a version of it, like a, a shortened version. Yeah. And we just And now Moulin Rouge, you know, The Greatest Showman's like a real hot corporate event. Yeah. So we do a lot of those. Well, the, the images and the clothes look amazing. They look like what you would see on Broadway. Thank you. Well, yeah, and they use Broadway performers. So it was funny when I started working for them, I was like, oh, no, you can't have these Broadway caliber people come in and wear these schleppy busted costumes. It's like disrespectful to their, their, their level of, you know, where they're at in their career even, you know, right. it's like, and so I have such an appreciation for those actors, yeah. triple threat, all those singers. And I was like, Oh no. So we've got to step it up. So, so that's when I started working for them. And a lot of those corporate things are sort of one weekend and done, right? Or are they things yeah. they're just one and done. You blow it out, you kill it. And then it's and then it's over. Yeah. And half the time, like I mean, they rehearse and it's perfection, and they're so good. And half the time, 
like the people don't even look up from their salad. They're just eating. I know. They care less. I know. They don't doing. remember. Like, yeah. I'm going to tell you a story that's going to make you shudder, and then maybe you'll be able to say what I should have done. I worked <laughs> on a little um, a cruise ship show that was like a green screen audience participation thing, and we had a little budget for costumes, but not much. Yeah. And we just ordered all the shit off Amazon. And we knew oh. that we could return whatever was crappy, and there's right. no. They make it so easy. You know what? Thank We're going to get seven mermaid suits, and we'll pick one that the least busted. Yeah. Um, does that hurt your heart to hear that story? And know that budget was very low. No, I I, I feel for you because I understand because half the stuff I do is on thirteen dollars, so I get it. I How do you make your money go so far? Is there a like, oh, I, I go to this store in downtown LA and I have a secret knock. Like, what is yeah. the secret to you doing what you do? Rind, you just rhinestone the shit out of everything. And that's <laughs> all you got to do. <laughs> you know? I love it. What is yeah. your workspace like? Do you have like a garage where you do all of your well, uh, let me tell you. stuff? <laughs> I have this big, fabulous loft downtown that was incredible. Floor to ceiling windows and... It was amazing until it wasn't, basically. Yeah. And during COVID, it was a nightmare living down there during quarantine. And so I moved out of there, moved back down to, like, West Hollywood adjacent. Do you and still have I, the house that was in some of the magazines? Like, your house was I in, do. like, House Beautiful. I was able to save it save it yesterday out of foreclosure. Right. But you weren't living in it. No, I'm renting that out. Oh, right. Yeah, I, I love it. So you're saving you know, it. In LA, it's crazy how much you can get for rent. So. Oh, it is crazy. Because the smartest thing I did was actually rent that out. Yeah. In your modeling days, you know how actors have actors' nightmares where they wake up and they, they their dream they, that they don't remember their lines or whatever it is? Is there a, a modeling version of that? <laughs> you, I would say, oh, you had to model in your underwear or something, but that's like a normal... <laughs> that's another normal day. Thing. That's being a day on the set. Is, yeah, being yeah. naked is every Tuesday. Yeah. So probably not, but funny enough, I, I always have dreams that I... Forgetting my lines, then they're like, well, wait, I'm not even an actor. I shouldn't even be having this dream. <laughs> I don't have any lines. I don't have any yeah, lines. Right? The only lines I have is that seam up the butt of the bun's underwear. Yeah, right. Was it sexy to, <laughs> to be an international male model? Did it feel sexy or was it, did it, was, was, no. was it in the air a little bit or no? It never felt sexy. And half the time we, I mean, not half the time, all the time, we were laughing at every single thing that we were wearing. You know, no, not sexy at all. Um, there's a picture on your Instagram of these shiny jeans. They're like, they're meant to look like denim, but they're clearly something shiny. Oh, yeah. And they're like jeans and it's the cover. And I love them. I love them. I think they're amazing. Yeah, right? It's a cool texture. Yeah. It's like, it's like they pressed LeMay on it or something. Yeah. Yeah. You just Windex them and that's all you have to do. <laughs> you just have to go. Windex them and then yeah. you're done. <laughs> um, I have this thing in my podcast called The Observation Deck and they're random questions. And one of them I thought would be good for you. Think about this for a second. What's the worst thing you've ever had to wear for work? It could oh, be a show that you did at Disneyland or a performance, or it could be like a modeling thing. I think the worst. Cindy Crawford mask would apply. Yeah, that was pretty rough. That was a, that was a pretty big blow to have to wear that. Um, oh, I did a shoot for Mac Makeup where we, um, it was with Mary J. Blige and Little Kim. Yeah. And we were supposed to look naked so they put us all in, there was, it was like five guys. They put us all in new G strings and then they had like Viva glam makeup, like lipstick kisses all over our whole body. Right. And then we, and we just had to keep jumping in the air, jumping in the air with little Kim and, you know, yeah. 
And that just um, was not a fun day at the office, even though it sounds like it would be yeah. a fun day at the office. No, it was a day of waiting around for them at their, their entourage because, you know, they're probably like 12 hours late. And we're just sitting around. Right. How did they apply the kisses to you? Did somebody kiss you? No, they didn't actually. I think they use a stencil. Oh, a stencil. That's a really boring it. answer, but yeah, no. it was just stencil. How, <laughs> how often were you in situations where people behaved inappropriately? Was that a common thing or was it like once in a while you'd get a little, somebody would once be inappropriate? In a, yeah, it was once in a while. It, really the only thing it was, was when you'd work with a celebrity, it was a lot of waiting around. Yeah. And that was really the only inappropriate I mean, there were photographers that would hit on you and right. be inappropriate, but that actually was pretty rare. So not as common as people might think. It might not No, be, and yeah. not, I think it's more common with women. And then I was with a legit agency, so most of my work wasn't, it was on a level that there wasn't a lot of craziness going on. I think that would be why. Yeah, that's interesting. You know? Did you ever work for Abercrombie? No, I didn't. And I auditioned for them so many times. My agency... They tried really hard to get me in there, and I met Bruce Weber. I got so close so many times, and then after watching that film, I figured out that could I have possibly been too Latin, too, right. too dark? Right, because you you have – yeah, you're part Latin, yes? Yeah, 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 and I have the brown eyes, and I think I might have been too dark at the time because that was really my heyday back right when that catalog was big. Yeah. Um, so, nope, never did. All right, and you also have your Etsy store where you sell some stuff. Tell us about that. Uh, well, <laughs> I still, I did some Wizard of Oz work for um, somebody and then I had all this extra stuff. So like, what am I going to do with all this Wizard of Oz stuff? So I had this Wizard of Oz, I went to this Wizard of Oz convention because I thought, well, that's got to be the way to get rid of all this Wizard of Oz art. You go to a Oz convention. Yes. Well, right. I did not realize that those people are fans of the book. It wasn't a, it wasn't a fans of the movie uh, convention so they were very judgy and they did not like that my Dorothy had red slippers because in the book they're silver they did not buy one thing no I was not a hit there John I'm bummed because I have a friend that's yeah. obsessed with that movie and has written books that are sort of fan fiction books but they're they're genuine novels but they sort of take that and run with it and I yeah. thought he would love your work. And now I'm afraid to even send him the link because he's going to yeah. be like, well, you know, the Tin Man was actually made of aluminum. Yeah. Like, right. like he's going to have some yeah. notes for me. So yeah, the, he might be judgy. The Oz, yeah. the Oz heads were judgy. Yeah, they were. John, you're, you're blowing my mind with one, <laughs> one scandalous revelation after another, after another. Um, yeah, it was it was a rude awakening, and they all, none of them wanted my autograph. And people will line up at Disney for my autograph. Right. So that was a rude awakening too. And I was like, wait a minute, why are people lining up for my autograph? Here's a random question that this may not have ever happened, but I bet there were young gay guys who were teenagers and closeted that saw you on the cover of International Mail and like remember you from that. Has anyone ever said, "Hey, I remember when I was in the closet, I would see that catalog"? Did you? Has anyone ever told you that? I I do get. Yeah, I actually get that a lot. And I get, you know, and they get more graphic and tell me, you know, <laughs> uh, tell me a lot more than that. I don't know. I guess it's a compliment, but sure. it's, it's an interesting one. Yeah. So you have gotten that. And it, it, I, it, yeah. And is, is it meaningful to hear that? It, could you, could you feel what, what they were trying to convey? Oh yeah. What were, it meant to them? Yes. Yeah. yeah they, they didn't hold back. 
<laughs> I also want to give a shout out to the font used in All Man, the International Mail story. I like the typeface oh. of the title. <laughs> I'm a, I can be, I I, I'm like an Oz head when it comes to font. Like if I don't like a font, I just, I'm like, this movie's not going to be good. Yeah. Do you have things I'm like that? It passes. Yeah, it's totally passes. Do you have things like that as a design person that are like your little pet peeves or I don't like when cursive fonts are used in all caps. Like there's uh, oh, oh, yeah, that never works. And no, no, but you see it a fair amount. Yeah. Uh yeah. I don't know. Do you have you a know what I hate as an artist? Yeah. I hate I hate faux finishes in in homes. And I recently had to paint this bathroom for somebody and they wanted faux marble, floor to wall. Yeah. And, you know, I did it, but I was like, You're making a huge mistake and I'm gonna I'm gonna you know, contribute to your mistake as I, as I make this fake marble on your bathroom. Yeah. Yeah. It just sites in my careers painting bathrooms. It offends you a bit. It offends you a bit. It, yes. Very yeah. much so. Uh, during quarantine, you did some fun, um, crafting videos. Uh, t- talk about like the, what, what was the one that people were the most into? Oh, uh, talk about when I was losing my mind in quarantine. Well, that was a way of coping, right? I watched it some was. of them. Yeah. Well, like I coped with that for five days, and then I was like, "Oh, this is this is too much work for." Because <laughs> you would do one every day. <laughs> I did one every day, and you know you had to top the one before, right? And then I the, by the sixth one, I I finally was embarrassed, and it was stupid, and I, I took it down. I was like, "Okay, I." I've reached, I peaked, I've peaked. You, pe- so, you peaked at the cake pops or whatever it I was? Did. Yeah. They were all those toilet paper crafts. Because remember how toilet paper was such a hot commodity? Oh, yeah. So I was making crafts out of, t- crappy crafts out of toilet paper rolls. Oh, see, that's, hence the yeah. title, crappy crafts. Yeah, and the fun was good for five days. You strike me as someone who loves to create with their hands. Is there a place in that world where you totally lose yourself? If you gave me these materials and left me alone in a garage for four days, I would be happy as a camper, you know? Oh, my gosh. Happy as a clam. Happy as a camper. I'm going to say that again. If you left me alone... (laughs) I don't want to say happy as a camper. That's bad. I'm embarrassed by that. I might leave this whole exchange in, actually. It's funny. Is there something that people just gave you the materials and gave you a few days, you'd be happy as a clam? (laughs) As opposed to a camper. (laughs) Oh my gosh! Just any crafts, any any little materials I I can make something out of, and I I could lose myself. And <laughs> when did you know you could answer? That's okay. When did you know you could paint? When did you I know you could do it? Ever since I was ever since I was a tiny tiny little kid, I was always painting. And then I went to art school and realized that I have a lot to learn, but I figured it out. And, uh, and people yeah, so, and people pay you to do it, and your stuff is beautiful. Um, thank you. That is cool that people put that art in their homes and stuff. I saw a post on your Instagram with your parents. Were they always cool with you pursuing the creative stuff, or were they ever like, you know what, be a dentist, go to law school? Yeah, I think because I had two other brothers, they were okay with me being the the one who was making weird choices. So <laughs> they were always supportive, even though they paid for my whole entire college career. And then I was like, which was an art school, a very expensive art school. And they supported that hundred percent. And then after that, I was like, you know what? I think I want to be an actor. And they, that kind of missed them for a minute. Cause they're like, what are you talking about? You don't act. And I was like, mom, you don't remember in high school when I was in the musical. Right. And they didn't remember that. And I was like, 
They literally didn't remember that you were in a high school musical? Yeah, I was like, how could you not remember that? I did that for four years. <laughs> but I wasn't the star. I was always like, you know, a, in the background. Or Teen like, dancer, like I was yeah. in Music Man. Yeah. Yeah, like I wasn't a T-bird. I was like just in the high school, you know. <laughs> how were you not, how, how were you not a T-bird? How you, how well, were you not at least Kanicki? <laughs> you know, I was shy back then. Yeah. And I just, I couldn't pull off an audition, but. Yeah. I could pull off the dance moves enough to get in the, into the musical. Yeah. <laughs> um, I've always been a fan of your hairline. Your, it's a widow, is it called the Widow's Peak? Is that My what they call it? hairline? No, but you, you always <laughs> had that. I was like, that's the John Coulter thing. Was it, I, was it a thing in your modeling thing? Was it something that people well, talked about or liked? Or? Well, I'll tell you where they talked about it. Back when it was My Face. What was it called? My Space. My Space. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> there was a guy who was saying, oh, you look like a, you look like Dracula and you should never have a modeling career with that hairline. So this widow speak really offended that guy. Yeah. And then I was like, ha ha, I've modeled a lot of Draculas in my Halloween costume modeling days. So this this paid off. It paid off. It paid for itself. You love Halloween. I've read that you go crazy. Do you still love it as much as ever or do you burn out? I kind of burned out. You know why? I'll tell you why I burned out. Because I used to decorate my whole house really elaborate. Yeah, there's a magazine spread on it. Yeah, well, that magazine... Was not shot in October when the Halloween cost when the Halloween decorations. Oh, you had to off. do all of that just for the magazine. Oh, let me tell you, I had to take down my Halloween co- uh, decorations, and then I put up Christmas because it's right after. So I had Christmas decorations up, and then that's when they came and saw the house. So they were like, "Wait a minute, you want me to take down my Christmas and put Halloween back up?" And I take everything out of the house that's not Halloween and make it. I only put Halloween stuff. Like, I even take the pictures off the walls that aren't Halloween, and I'll put, like, a Halloween. Yeah, you go all the way. So to do that twice within a month and a half, I never did it after that. I was so burned out. Right. You had your magazine moment, and you are like, you know what? Yeah, it's done. It's done. I'm going to go out. my day. I'm going to go out in a blaze of glory. Let's tell people how they can see this movie, All Man, the International Mail Story. It's July 16th at Outfest. At 7.15 at the DGA. Are you planning to go, John? Are you, is there a, some kind of festive party? Are you going to be wearing step-ins? Do you remember step-ins? I, yes. Yeah. I, I am going to go, and I'm not going to be in my man mesh because my body's <laughs> under, under maintenance. It's under construction right now. So sure. It's close, close for maintenance. You could wear an international male hat. There might be some goofy hat. I could. A blazer, yeah. a pir- pirate shirt. I mean, there's still options. But there is a thing. It's going to be a party. It's going to be a scene. Yeah, it should be fun. And for anyone who's not in L.A., you can stream the movie through Outfest for 48 hours after it starts showing on Saturday. So you could buy a ticket online and watch it wherever you are in the U.S. So, John, thank you for doing the podcast. It was so fun to talk to you. You have such a good sense of humor about all of this stuff. Have uh, you got to laugh. <laughs> you've got to laugh. But w- right? What kind of got you through the ups and downs of all of it? Was there a time where you were ever like, I feel lost, I don't know what I'm doing? Or, you know, like, how do you weather the, the creative life? I think it's because I do a bunch of different things that when one isn't going so well, I'm like, well, I can still paint. Or, or right. well, at least I have this modeling job. Or at least I can do something. So I think since I have options career-wise, it, it's, that's helped a lot. So you can't take one too serious because... right. You have your portfolio. I've experienced that a bit myself, having doing this podcast, for example, or doing um, this, these games that I host. Like the, yeah. the, the 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 yeses and the nos in, in that in the sort of 
more established world don't matter as much because I've got something that's mine. They got yeah. something they can't take away. Yeah, uh, they can't tell me my hairline's wrong for for my thing, <laughs> right? Um, yeah, it's crazy. Uh, final question: What is your dream gig? It's it's costume design. I want to do, and who's ever listening out there that can make this happen? I want to do Broadway costumes for Broadway theater musicals. That's my dream costume job that I would love to do. It hasn't happened yet because I I don't know if it's because I'm in LA or I'm terrible at networking. I don't know what it is, but. Well, website's johnculturedesigns.com. Yeah, go to johnculturedesigns.com. You're also, your Instagram is what? Uh, it's just John Coulter. John Coulter. John yeah, Coulter yeah. on Instagram. All right. You have fun with your Instagram. I, it is fun. Yeah. It is fun. I love it. Well, it's fun talking to you. You always put a smile on my face, and I think you're so talented at what you do. Oh, thank you, Dennis. And I love that you have a sense of humor thank about you. the International Mail Days, which meant so much to so many. <laughs> they, they truly, truly did. Right. And uh, I can contribute to that. All right. Thank you, John. Thank you, Dennis. Appreciate it. Thanks again to John Coulter. You can find out about that documentary that he appears in, All Man, the International Mail Story. Uh, it's showing at Outfest. You can learn about that at outfest.org. You can also find out more about his art and his designs at johncoulterdesigns.com. All right, so this happened. First of all, I got a lovely email from a listener about one of my past interviews. I had a filmmaker named Peter McDowell on a few weeks ago. He made a documentary called Jimmy in Saigon about his brother who died in Vietnam back in the 70s and how his family never really uncovered the full story about that. Um, and this is just one of the lines from the email I got from Matt about that movie. Um, he wrote, When I saw the phrase, Veil of Silence, in the synopsis of Jimmy in Saigon, I thought, this movie is my family. He went on to say that he watched it a couple of times and talked about how in his own family he had an aunt who always used to say that if she were to write a memoir about their childhood it would be called nobody said a damn word so it turns out that these themes are universal and i love hearing from people and knowing that they're listening to the podcast and getting something out of it so thank you matt for writing the email um what else happened okay i saw pretty woman the musical i saw pretty woman the musical it's touring um I'd also seen Tootsie the Musical like a month or so ago. It's part of the same series. And I have to say, I enjoyed Pretty Woman much more than Tootsie the Musical, although I think the songs were stronger in Tootsie the Musical. The music in Pretty Woman the Musical isn't super memorable, and they don't play the songs from the movie. They give you a little bit of Pretty Woman at the very end. But it's not like Roxette and, you know, King of Wishful Thinking. It's not like the songs that, that are from the movie. But what was interesting about it, I felt like the musical was totally carried by people's love for the film, specifically Julia Roberts. We love Julia Roberts in that movie so much that 30 years later, we will watch a musical that's not that great about that just because we love her. Like, oh my gosh, it's the polka dot dress. Oh, look, they're going to do the thing with the jewelry box. Oh, wait, she's now she's going to shop and she's going to be sassy to the Beverly Hills people. Like... Oh, wait, it's the red dress, you guys. It's the red dress. It's almost as though Julia is in it, even though she's not in it. Um, and it kind of carries the day. Um, what I also thought was interesting is that the musical plays up Richard Gere's corporate rating job more than the movie did. The movie, it felt like an afterthought. Like, it was part of the story, but we just want to see her shot. And in this, he plays a really 
kind of like a corporate raider type, you know, who who breaks up companies and sells them for parts. And and what this version of the story made clear specifically at this moment in time is that he's the one with the gross job. Sure, she's turning tricks for cash, but she probably needs to. She's desperate. He's the one that's disgusting. He's the one you should be sickened by. And I thought that was... Maybe that's just how I experienced it, but I think there's more acceptance now of sex work as work, and it's not quite as stigmatized. Um, So I thought that Pretty Woman as a story aged a lot better than Tootsie. Interesting. Deep thoughts. Deep thoughts about um, cash grab musicals. (laughs) That's my next podcast. I'm going to call it that. All right. Thank you so much for listening. Shout out to AJ Sousa for doing the mixing and JB Bercy for his technical support. I also want to mention Mark Daniels and Placement Music, who came up with my theme song. Thank you for listening, and we will catch you next time. I'm Dennis Anyone. Bye. Bye.